Sale again looks in. He's ready. Turns, kicks, fires. Swing into the mix. It is over. The Boston Red Sox, baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. And the celebration begins. They mob Chris Sale. And the dog pile starts third base side of the pitcher's mound. For the fourth time in the last 15 years, the Red Sox are World Series champions. The final call of last night's World Series Game 5 from John Shambi and ESPN Radio. Hi, everybody. Welcome into the studio this afternoon. Tanner Hoops with you. Time for the sports pen. Here in the next hour, we break down everything you need to know in the world of sports, ranging from baseball to football, hockey, basketball, everything in between. Baseball. It's a good place to start. Season comes to an end last night. The Boston Red Sox, kings of Major League Baseball, they win the World Series in five games. They do so on their opponent's home turf as they beat L.A. Really, it was a lopsided series. The best series that Boston had in this postseason came against the Yankees. You think maybe if a few things went differently in that series, Boston never even makes the ALCS. The Yankees were closer to advancing than either the Astros or the Dodgers were against Boston. How about Steve Pierce and the job that he has done? Came into the league about 2005. He started this season with the Toronto Blue Jays. He was traded for a minor league infielder to the Red Sox. He goes off as Boston wins the World Series. Boston's offense played at their best during the postseason, when you need them to play their best. Boston did it. Sounds cliche, but that's how you win titles. That's why Boston did it so dominantly. And Steve Pierce had a lot to do with it. Journeyman utility player. He's played for seven different teams. And he becomes the World Series MVP. Boston Red Sox World Series champs largely in part due to him and Mookie Betts, who may end up being the American League MVP. Hard to argue against him. Okay, look in the National League. It's going to be Christian Yelich. If it's not Yelich, there's something seriously wrong with baseball, or whoever's voting, we have a flawed system, or politics involved, what have you. We know it's going to be Yelich in the National League. The American League is a little more open, although Mookie Betts might have closed a few doors for his opponents after this World Series. Now he's got a ring. Mookie's definitely making his case to be the favorite, but will he be the one that ends up as the most valuable player? We did a Twitter poll. We wanted to get your thoughts on it. I checked it this morning, and Mookie was running away with the voting. He had 70% of the vote. Mookie bets 70% of the fan vote on Twitter. You can vote in it if you haven't already, at ESPNUP on Twitter. Mookie bets 70% of the vote. Last night, it was fairly close. It was almost split 50-50 between him and Red Sox teammate J.D. Martinez. And Martinez... Fans around here and from his years with the Tigers, they remember him very well. Martinez polling right around 30% as last checked. And then the other options were Alex Bregman from Houston and other, which was anyone from Jose Ramirez to Mike Trout. Others getting probably about 3%, somewhere around there. As of this morning, Alex Bregman had zero votes. I don't know what he's at right now. I have to go check. But Alex Bregman with no votes. That surprised me quite a bit. And you wonder how much that had to do with Boston knocking out Houston in such dominant fashion during the ALCS. 
But Alex Bregman's a great ball player, and he's had a great season. But no votes. I don't think there's any beef between him and the Brewers or the Tigers or anything that would be influencing the fans to vote the way they did. But Alex Bregman, I get much love from the UP. That's all right. That's all right. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I just thought it was interesting. So no more baseball until March. I know nobody likes to hear that. I don't like to hear that. We've got other stuff to keep us occupied, to keep us focused on, though. Boston wins the World Series. People will be talking about that all winter long, breaking down what made this team purr. Plenty did. Pitching got going. Hitting got going. Fielding, base running have always been there. But the hitting and the pitching both came alive at the right time. They peaked exactly when they needed to. David Price finally shrugged off that that notion that he can't pitch in October. Clayton Kershaw hasn't. But David Price sure did. He had three quality consecutive wins to help his team advance in the postseason. One against Houston, two against the Dodgers. Big game Dave, David Price, is a legitimate October pitcher. No way you can deny him now. He cemented his legacy in that sense. So they were partying in the streets of Boston until the late hours of the morning. I'm sure there's a few revelers that are still out there keeping the party going even today. There'll be a lot of unproductive offices in the New England area. They got football tonight, too. They have a big divisional matchup coming up on Monday Night Football, and that's coming up later on in the show. But Boston right now, a city of celebrations, a city of champions. Right now, Boston is the best sports city in America, and there's no denying that. Between the championships they've won in this millennium alone, Patriots, Bruins, Celtics, Red Sox... Gotta feel good if you're a Boston sports fan. How do you feel if you're a Dodgers fan? What do you do? What do you build off? Where do you go from here? Yeah, you made the World Series two years in a row. You have no trophies to show for it. You've got none to show for it since 1988. Could you ask for a better roster? Up and down the lineup, they had about 12 legitimate all-stars. Guys who could play and be all-stars for about any other team. You had 12 of those guys on your roster. That means at least three are riding the bench every single game. Maybe coming in in pinch hit or defensive situations. How much more talent could you ask for if you're L.A.? They are not going to win another World Series without a major rebuild. This was it. Their window's closed. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. They're not going to win a World Series as long as Dave Roberts is still managing them. Nothing against Dave Roberts. He's not going to get fired this season. I'm not calling for him to get fired. He's had a lot of success over the last few seasons. But how do you define success? For a franchise like the Dodgers, success means championships. For a sports city like L.A., success means championships. Dave Roberts has had some of the most stacked rosters in Dodger history, and he hasn't been able to deliver a championship. I said it before. If they don't win the World Series this year, they're not going to without a major rebuild. I believe that even more strongly after the poor managerial performance from Roberts in this World Series. I don't think he can deliver them a title if he has not with the rosters he had in the last two years. Dave Roberts will be back next year. Dodgers will keep him for a few more years. But they are not going to win a World Series under him. You can't ask for much better of a roster than what they have this year. 
talent on there is just too good not to win a World Series. I don't know how much of that blame falls on Roberts. Of course, he did mismanage in this World Series. Make no mistake, especially Game 4. But yeah, I'll cut him some slack as far as Clayton Kershaw goes. I mean, how do you... How do you foresee Clayton Kershaw not being able to get it done once October rolls around? For whatever reason, so many great pitchers struggle when you get to the postseason. It's unfortunate that Clayton Kershaw is one of them because he will go down as one of the best to ever play the game. Just unfortunate he doesn't have a ring to show for it. The Dodgers become the first team to lose back-to-back World Series since the Texas Rangers did it seven years ago. The Rangers reached out to the organization via social media, tweeting last night, Hey, at Dodgers, the support group for back-to-back World Series losers meets on Tuesday. Weird flex, but okay. Maybe Dave Roberts has a job in Texas coming up. Jeff Bannister's out. Keep in mind, he was fired this year. Rangers managerial job still open. Magic Johnson isn't going to fire Dave Roberts this offseason. But Dave Roberts is not going to bring L.A. a World Series. If the Dodgers want to keep him long-term, they know they're primed to be one of the best teams in baseball. A lot of teams would kill for that. But if you're content with getting to the World Series, not winning it, maybe even getting embarrassed like they were in this past series, winning division titles and National League championships... If you're content with all that, but no World Series, keep Dave Roberts. By all means, keep doing what you're doing. Something's got to change, though, if they want to bring back the crown for the first time since 88. The formula they have right now, not working. They could not ask for much more talented rosters than what they've had the last two years. Two World Series appearances, no titles. The Dodgers want to win one. Changes are going to have to be made. They're going to have to be made fast. We'll take a break. We've got more coming up after this in the sports pen. You're listening to ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP mobile app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The urgency has to pick up, so maybe that does that. But there's no uh, momentum gained from a loss, in my opinion. You know, we can play with anybody, but we knew that before this game it wasn't like there's was some revelation like oh okay now yeah we can probably play with the Rams no we we can play with anybody but I'm disappointed because our defense really played well and we were just really slow slow going in the first half and couldn't get a lot of things going and then uh, by the time we got back up ahead you know we just had one drive to finish the game off and didn't come up with it Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers following yesterday's 29-27 loss against the LA Rams Sean McVay's squad remains the only unbeaten team in the NFL as they are 8-0 for the season. But the Packers gave them their closest battle yet, their toughest battle. How many question marks still surround the Rams? Yes, they're unbeaten. They're 8-0. They have a great offense. They're a great team. Extremely well coached. Two years ago at this time, they were struggling just trudging through the Jeff Fisher era in its final days. Now they're riding high with a 33-year-old head coach. But have they erased all doubt this season? Absolutely not. Are there question marks to this team? Yes, there are. Defensively, if they stay healthy, how good can they be? Marcus Peters, certainly huge addition to that team. LaMarcus Joyner in the secondary. Then you look up front, Aaron Donald, you got to commit two bodies to him if you want to make him a non-factor in the game. Packers did a good job of that in the first half started coming alive in the second half. 
But once you start double-teaming Aaron Donald, you leave yourself vulnerable to anybody in the NFL, particularly, especially when Andamican Sue is also on that line. So you have Sue and Donald on the same defensive line. That's a quarterback's nightmare. Can you imagine if the Rams played the New York Giants right now with the state that the Giants O-line is in? What if they played the Cowboys right now? How bad that offensive line is. They forced Dak Prescott to have the football for less than three seconds. So yeah, the Rams, if they stay healthy, their defense is going to be hard for anybody to break. That's just a tough matchup for anybody to have to deal with. Offensively, though, how good are they? Sean McVay is an absolute genius. The Brad Stevens of the NFL. Young and brilliant. But they didn't look good last week as they snuck by the 49ers, a team with just one win on the season. They very well had a chance to lose yesterday. If Aaron Rodgers had gotten the ball with under two minutes to go, we were robbed of a potential Aaron Rodgers game-winning touchdown drive that he's known for. We were robbed of that. As a football fan, that's got to be disappointing. As a Packers fan, that's got to be disheartening. Here's what Mike McCarthy had to say on his running back out of Stanford. That's what those games come down to. There's, you know, their decisions, and then Todd ties in that decision situation, and, and, and I'm sure Todd was trying to make a play. So, you know, I don't know exactly how deep he was if it was close, uh, but I think, I think we all realized that with the management of the clock and, you know, where we wanted to be there, you know, we wanted to be north of uh, two minutes with the one timeout put the ball in Aaron's hands, but, you know, you also, you, know, you trust your players, tough decisions, close decisions, and, and like I said, I think Ty was just trying to, he was trying to make a play. I give McCarthy credit. He did not throw his guy under the bus, and he couldn't ask for many situations that are more warranted for doing so. But at what point do the Packers bring the hammer down? They say, something's not working. If we're not going to make a personnel change, we need to change the way we're doing things around here. We need to change the system. They put up with mistakes from guys like Ty Montgomery, Kentrell Bryce, Mason Crosby even for a little bit. At what point do you start to crack down on situations like this so you can get the most that you can out of these guys? There are four legitimate playoff caliber teams in the North right now. Minnesota's going to find a way into the playoffs. The Lions are in win-now mode. The Bears are in first place after yesterday. And the Packers, they're right there. You can never count them out as long as Rodgers is healthy. The NFC North has a real chance to send three teams to the playoffs this year. But the Packers can't afford mistakes like that. You've got to buy into the system. And Ty Montgomery wasn't doing it. Ty Montgomery was playing Ty Montgomery football. You've got to buy into the Packers' way if you expect to win. Because the Packers aren't going to do it if you have 53 guys playing their own style of football. Even yesterday, one just playing his own style of football. That was enough to rob Aaron Rodgers of a chance to win the ballgame. Let's take a look back at the NFL. What happened yesterday? What happened Thursday night? One more game left in this week. That comes up this evening. New England and Buffalo on Monday Night Football. We start on Thursday. We had the shootout down in Houston with the Texans putting up 42 points as they take down Miami 42-23. to The Texans are suddenly 5-3. and They have won five straight after starting 0-3. Meanwhile, the Dolphins fall back to 500 at 4-4. Deshaun Watson throws for five touchdowns in the ballgame. Coming from behind is kind of the mantra for that team. Miami led 7-0 at one point. 
Texans were 0-3 this year. They are trying to become just the second team in the Super Bowl era to make the postseason after starting 0-3. Chance to do it, especially with the state the AFC South is in. How about yesterday's games around the NFL? Starting across the pond, they played in London. Two with the final four teams in last year's postseason. Philadelphia getting the victory over Jacksonville by a score of 24-18. to Carson Wentz leading the way. He went 21 for 30 for 286 yards through the air. Also passed for three touchdowns. The defending champs are back to 500 at 4-4. Four and four. Jacksonville, meanwhile, continues to skid as they fall to 3-5. and five. The Chicago Bears were the only NFC North team to win yesterday, and they go from worst to first in the division. They're now 4-3. and three. The New York Jets are 3-5 and five after Chicago's 24-10 victory over NY. How about Cleveland and Pittsburgh? The rematch after the Week 1 tie. The Steelers cruise in dominant fashion, 33-18. They win over the Browns as James Conner continues to solidify himself as Pittsburgh's strongest rushing threat. Denver and Kansas City squaring off at Arrowhead, and Patrick Mahomes leads his team to a 30-23 victory. Kansas City now 7-1 as they continue to lead in the AFC West. Denver, meanwhile, falls back to 3 and five. Mahomes, another good day at the office. He passes for 303 yards, including four touchdowns. Kareem Hunt, 16 carries, 58 yards. And how about Sammy Watkins? Eight catches for 107 yards, two TDs. Everything was going offensively for Kansas City yesterday. Elsewhere in the NFL yesterday, Seattle with a 28-14 win over the Lions at Ford Field. Russell Wilson threw three touchdowns in the second quarter alone. He had three touchdown passes in one quarter. That matches the number of incompletions he had on the day. He was 14 for 17 through the year. Matthew Stafford, though, swinging it pretty well himself, 27 of 14 for 310 yards and two passing touchdowns. Seattle on the season improves to 4-3. and three. Meanwhile, the Lions drop back to 3-4. and four. Cincinnati and Tampa Bay, this was a fun one. Jameis Winston looks like he may have lost his throne as the Buccaneers' starting quarterback. Fitzmagic could be back. Ryan Fitzpatrick leads his team in a fourth-quarter comeback. They tie the game late in Cincinnati, but the Bengals with a game-winning field goal at the buzzer, and they win this one 37-34. Randy Bullock good from 44 yards out, as he has been so many times throughout his career. Cincinnati is now 5-3, Tampa Bay dropping back to 3-4, and and it's going to be a lot of fun to see who is the starting quarterback for this weekend's matchup when the Buccaneers visit Carolina. Looking at the two quarterbacks and how they compared individually for Tampa Bay, Jameis Winston, 18 of 35, 276 yards, one touchdown, but he was picked off four times. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 11 of 15 through the year, 194 yards, two TDs and no picks. Is Fitzmagic back in Tampa Bay? Maybe good news for those of you who hung on to him in fantasy football after he was benched in week four. Carolina rides a 17-point second quarter to beat Baltimore 36-21. Panthers are now 5-2. They move into second place in the NFC South. Baltimore is back to 500 at 4-4. Four four. Looking elsewhere in the NFL from yesterday, the Redskins pick up a 20-13 win over the Giants. Washington's defense stands tall. They lead wire to wire as they notch their third straight victory to move to 5-2. New York, meanwhile, falls to 1-7. 
Indianapolis the victory 42-28 over Oakland yesterday. The Colts are now 3-5 and five as they win their second straight. Oakland, meanwhile, falls to 1-6. and six. Three touchdown passes for Andrew Luck, and Adam Vinatieri becomes the NFL's all-time scoring leader as the veteran kicker, 45 years young, surpasses Mort Anderson on the NFL scoring list. As mentioned, the Rams with a 29-27 victory over Green Bay. LA 8-0, Green Bay 3-3-1. An absolute doozy at the LA Coliseum yesterday. The late fumble proves to be enough to allow LA to sneak out with a victory. Arizona 18-15 winners over San Francisco. The Cardinals are now 2-6. San Fran falls to 1-7. The score was 2-0 after one quarter and 5-3 at halftime. San Fran led after both the first two frames. A safety was how the scoring got going. Nonetheless, another close loss for the Niners. Don't worry, they've got Oakland coming up on Thursday Night Football this week. They've got another chance at winning. Then the Sunday Night Football game, a rematch of last year's NFC wildcard round postseason game, better known for the Minneapolis Miracle as New Orleans gets the victory over Minnesota at U.S. Bank Stadium. 30-20 is the final. New Orleans has now won six straight since dropping their season opener against Tampa Bay. The Vikings fall back to 4-3-1 and one as their three-game winning streak is snapped. Coming up later tonight, you've got the Monday night football matchup as the New England Patriots visit the Buffalo Bills. 8-15 kick for those of us here on the East Coast. If you're like me, I know you can't wait to watch Tom Brady square off against Derek Anderson being backed up by Nathan Peterman. Last time the Bills were able to beat a Tom Brady-led Patriots team was the final week of the regular season back in 2014. 17-9, the Bills won. Patriots had very little to play for them. They already had their spot in the postseason secured. To stack the odds a little more against the Bills, Tom Brady has been excellent on Monday Night Football. He's excellent whatever day of the week he plays on. But Monday nights especially seem to be when he's at his best. He has thrown 48 career touchdown passes on Monday night. That is fourth most in NFL history. Dan Marino is the leader, Brett Favre behind him. And Drew Brees just two passes ahead of Brady for third on the all-time Monday night football list. Brady has only lost two career games at Buffalo, 14-2, and with 28 overall wins against the Bills. That is the most ever by a quarterback against a single team. And the Bills, keep in mind, are coming off a 37-5 loss against the Indianapolis Colts. That's how good of a game it's going to be tonight. The point spread has New England winning by 14. That's a little generous. I'm going New England by 25. I don't know about you. I'm going Pats by at least four scores. Speaking of the Colts and what happened there yesterday, obviously it's a tough season for them. Not a lot of pieces around Andrew Luck, who's trying to work his way back, getting healthy. But Adam Vinatieri gives the Colts plenty of reasons to smile. Fantasy owners, too, if he's on your squad. 45 years old, South Dakota native. He becomes the NFL's all-time leading scorer. He's such a valuable piece of whatever franchise he goes to. He's won rings with the Patriots, with the Colts. Guy's something special. Here's what he had to say after becoming the NFL's all-time points leader yesterday. Way back in the back of my mind, it was never a a driving thing for me. I think it was more just, I've always just wanted to help my team win games and, and do my job. And 
and the, everything else kind of stacks up and, you know, the records take care of themselves. After yesterday's performance, Vinatieri now leads the NFL with 2,550 points he is responsible for throughout his NFL career. So we know Adam Vinatieri will be a Hall of Famer. By the time it's all said and done, there's a spot for this guy in the Hall of Fame. And they're very exclusive for kickers. George Blanda, who also played quarterback, Lou Groza, John Stanerud, Ray Guy, the only punter, and Mort Anderson, the previous NFL all-time scoring leader who was inducted last year. So Vinatieri would be the sixth. How long does he have to wait? Let's speculate and get a little crazy. Is Adam Vinatieri worthy of being inducted in the NFL Hall of Fame on the first ballot? A lot of people would say no, but why? Just because he's a kicker? He's the NFL's all-time scoring leader. He's won multiple Super Bowls. Let's just say this. Precedent will be set based on Adam Vinatieri's Hall of Fame eligibility. If he doesn't get inducted on the first ballot, no kicker ever will be. You could set the NFL record, kick from end zone to end zone, make a 99-yard field goal, what have you. There's nothing that anyone can do that could top what Adam Vinatieri has accomplished in his career. And if Adam Vinatieri does not get elected to the NFL Hall of Fame on the first ballot, it is not possible for a kicker to do so. He will get in. Make no mistake, he will get in. Just how long is it going to take him? Kickers are athletes too, and that's what they want you to understand. Adam Vinatieri is certainly deserving to be in the Hall of Fame, and he will be enshrined one day. You just wonder how long he's got to wait. We're about halfway through today's show. Coming up on the Sports Pen, an injury sidelines one of the best scorers in the NHL. Find out the details on the other side of this break. Plus, which NFL quarterback is being wasted in the system that he's in? It's not Andrew Luck. That's your hint. Which NFL quarterback is the most wasted talent that we're never going to get to see blossom as long as he stays where he is? That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP mobile app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Yeah, I'd give a rat's about Twitter. It's a platform for people that are sitting home trolling an unemployment check, sitting in front of a keyboard. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. Don't forget Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only at Ojibwe Casino in Barriga and Marquette. So as you heard, Oklahoma State football head coach Mike Gundy so eloquently put it, he doesn't care what you say on Twitter. He doesn't care. His team picks up a huge victory over a top 10 Texas team on Saturday night, albeit a little heated. A couple unsportsmanlike conduct calls came in right at the end of the game when Oklahoma State was in victory formation, taking their kneel down, just ready to wind down the clock. One of those unsportsmanlike conduct penalties came against Texas head coach Tom Herman. I, I did. I thought um, I thought Mike had come out and was having words with one of our players, and uh, I took exception to that. And um, when I shook his hand at the end, he said, hey, I was just trying to make sure that um, we were smart and no fight ensued. And I believe him. We smiled and I, 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 we, we go way back. We're, uh, I, have, I have no issues. He told me what he was trying to do. I, I saw it differently at first. And so I, I was certainly going to go defend my, my player, my guy. 
Tom Herman letting us know that everything's all good between him and Gundy, as the mullet gives us one of the best post-game comments you're ever going to hear. Glad to have that for Sound Bites of the Week. Yeah, oh, I'd give a rat's about Twitter. It's a platform for people that are sitting home trolling an unemployment check, sitting in front of a keyboard. That's one of many storylines that came out of college football this weekend. Let's take a look at how it affected the rankings. A lot of movement among the top 25. Keep in mind the first official playoff rankings come out tomorrow night. The first edition of the college football playoff rankings, and those will decide who are the final four playing for a championship at the end of the season. For now, the AP poll. Alabama still remains number one, the unanimous number one. They got all first place votes this week as they stay atop the country. You have Clemson at number two, Notre Dame at number three. All three of those teams are 8-0 this season. Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, then LSU is in the four spot. They are 7-1. So no change in the top four, no change in the top five, to be honest with you. Michigan holds in the fifth spot also at 7-1. Georgia is up one spot. They are number six. Oklahoma moves up one to number seven. Ohio State comes in eighth. UCF is ninth. And Washington State is tenth. So that's the top ten in this week's college football poll. Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, LSU, Michigan, the top five. Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Central Florida, and Washington State, six through ten. Kentucky moving up to number 11. They're essentially in the SEC semifinal game. Their game this weekend will decide who represents the Eastern Division of the Southeastern Conference when they host the Georgia Bulldogs. Kentucky's right there on the cusp of getting through and maybe playing for an SEC championship. You have West Virginia behind them at number 12, Florida's 13th, Penn State 14th, Texas dropping to number 15 after their loss to Oklahoma State. 16 through 20, you have Utah, Houston, Utah State joining the fray, then Iowa and Fresno State. So once again, Kentucky, West Virginia, Florida, Penn State, Texas, 11 through 15, Utah, Houston, Utah State, Iowa, and Fresno State round out the top 20. 21st, you have Mississippi State, Syracuse, Virginia, Boston College, all four of those teams unranked last week. Then Texas dropping nine spots to number 25 after their loss this weekend. So 21 through 25 in the rankings this week, Mississippi State, Syracuse, Virginia, Boston College, and Texas A&M. That is the latest AP rankings from college football. Keep in mind the college football playoff polls. The first official one of the season comes out tomorrow night. Looking on to the pro sports scene now. How things have changed in the city of Cleveland over the last three days. Three days ago at this time, Ty Lue was still the Cleveland Cavaliers coach. Hugh Jackson was still coaching the Cleveland Browns. Both have since been fired. Ty Lue on Saturday morning, Hugh Jackson earlier this morning. Both are fired, relieved of their positions. Terry Francona somewhere sweating bullets. Again, I don't think he's going to get fired. There's a lot of Cleveland fans who want him to get fired. But let's be honest, Cleveland's not going to get any better with anybody else at the helm. Nonetheless, it makes you wonder what the state of athletics is like in Cleveland. Of course, LeBron takes off for L.A. Ty Lue gets to coach the Cavs. They start out 0-6. He's gone. Larry Drew will be the interim head coach. That makes six coaches hired and fired by Dan Gilbert since he took over as GM in the Cavs organization. Six coaches hired and fired 
Five different guys. It happened to Mike Brown twice. Shifting to football, Hugh Jackson is out as coach of the Cleveland Browns. I'll be straight up with you. When they hired Jackson a couple of years ago, I thought that he would be a guy that could help turn the Browns around. They wouldn't make a complete turnaround here in any time in the near future. But I thought they would get on the right path with him. Instead, three wins, 36 losses, and one tie. That's his record with Cleveland. I was impressed with Jackson when he was the coach of the Oakland Raiders, went 8-8, and because they were a struggling franchise before he took over, got fired after one season. I thought if Oakland gave him a chance, they could have made something really special happen over there. But the Browns? I don't know who, if anybody, can take over that franchise right now and could turn into something special. But obviously 3-36-1 isn't enough to keep a job, no matter what the reason is or no matter what franchise you're working with. So let's talk about who the Browns could possibly bring in to replace Hugh Jackson. First of all, who wants that job? You know it's going to be a tall task to win with that group. It's a culture over there. And you don't just need somebody who's talented or who's smart, but you need somebody who can change a culture. And oftentimes that's harder to do than drawing up the right play to win. But let's look at a few names who are available. The Browns, knowing them, they'll look at guys like Mike McCoy, maybe Mike Smith, veteran guys who have been around the league but have already been let go by the teams that they're with. But knowing the Browns, they'll give them a shot. They'll bring him in for interviews. Josh McDaniels is a guy that knows his offense. I know he had the fallout with the Colts last year. But that's a guy that the Browns would kill for. He's a great offensive mind, despite whatever issues he may have had that caused the Indianapolis deal to fall through. Josh McDaniels will be a guy to keep your eye on. How about Jim Schwartz from Philadelphia, former Detroit Lions head coach? He's a defensive coordinator for the Eagles right now, just won a Super Bowl with him. Could he be on the move? Would Jim Schwartz be a good fit over there in Cleveland? I'm going to throw Joe Philbin in on the list, too. I don't think it's going to happen, but Joe Philbin seems like a guy that the Browns would try to bring in. Not necessarily because of anything he's accomplished. That's primarily the reason why, is his lack of accomplishments as an NFL head coach. For whatever reason, the Browns go after those guys. Guys who fly under the radar. So maybe Joe Philbin, but I think he's pretty happy where he is getting to work with Aaron Rodgers on a daily basis. How about we turn our attention to the NHL? Red Wings pick up a 4-2 win last night over Dallas. Bernier gets the win in net. Abdulkader, Monta, Erickson, Bertuzzi all score. Detroit gets their second win of the season. Toronto Maple Leafs get some bad news, though. Austin Matthews is going to miss a month with a shoulder injury. Matthews is one of the best young players in the game, kid out of Arizona. The good news is it doesn't need surgery, but you're losing such a potent part of your offense. Matthews is tied for second in the NHL this season with 10 goals, and it's a Toronto team that relies on their offense. They don't have the goaltending or the defense to be able to contend with anybody else. They have to outscore you. If I were to ask you, who leads the NHL in points this year? Goals plus assists. Who would you say? If I were to tell you it was Miko Rontanen, right winger for the Colorado Avalanche with 21, would you be surprised? Rontanen is quietly becoming a force to be reckoned with around the NHL. He's fairly new onto the scene, 
22-year-old from Finland, but great size on him. 6'4", 215 pounds. He was named the NHL's number three star of the week this week. Sidney Crosby, the number one star. Let's get back to the NFL a little bit. Let's talk quarterbacks. Do you ever look at a guy and think, man, I feel so sorry for him. He's so talented. He should be winning more games. He should be putting up better numbers if only he had the pieces around him. Only thing that's holding him back is that he's carrying the team. That's what's slowing him down. Everybody's on his back. Now, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. There's a quarterback over in the AFC I just feel heartbroken for every week because we may never get to know how good he really is. Put up such special numbers in college. And now look at him. A Pac-12 guy goes to the NFL. He's had mild success. He's been in the postseason before. But he's never had strong weapons around him or strong coaching. It's not Andrew Luck. That's the other thing. You're probably thinking it's Andrew Luck right now. And you could make the case for Andrew. But I'd argue he's had more weapons and certainly more success than Marcus Mariota. Think about what Marcus Mariota could be. Think about him back in his Oregon Ducks days. What he brought to the table every single game. Dual threat. He could be a pocket passer. He could run the football in case everything fell apart. He made plays happen. A perfect example of what he has to work with here in Tennessee. You go back to the Baltimore game where he was sacked 11 times. You talk about how bad the Giants offensive line is or the Cowboys. 11 sacks for a mobile quarterback. Albeit he's dealt with injuries, but he's still a good runner. And he can't even get away from that. That's how bad his offensive line has been. He's with a defensive-minded coach this year, Mike Vrabel. And it's nothing against Mike Vrabel. But think about if you pair him with an offensive-minded coach. And I know, I know, his coach for the last couple of years has been Mike Malarkey. But really, it's Mike Malarkey. I'm talking putting him in a system with a guy like Sean McVay, with a guy like Andy Reid. He doesn't even have to be a Belichick guy. Sean McVay would kill to have a quarterback like that. I raise the question to you. If Marcus Mariota was the quarterback of the L.A. Rams right now instead of Jared Goff, how much better would they be? Would they be worse? They're 8-0 with Goff right now. But would that offense be better with Mariota? I think there's a lot of reason to think so. For one thing, Mariota was starting earlier in his career than Goff was. Goff took a little over a year to get going. Marcus Mariota stepped right in out of Oregon. And he was the guy over in Tennessee. The coaching for Jared Goff has been significantly better, even when you take out the fact that he had Jeff Fisher for a little bit. Sean McVay is on his way to be an NFL superstar head coach. At just 33 years old, the dude is a genius. What if Marcus Mariota was in that system? I think he would fit better in a McVay system rather than an Andy Reid or a Bill Belichick system. And despite Tennessee's struggles, Mariota still got into the postseason last year. They were maybe the worst team in this millennium to reach the postseason, but they were there, and they won a game. They beat Andy Reid's squad in the playoffs. You feel like talent is being wasted over in Tennessee, and I hate to see it. 
because we're seeing good things out of Baker Mayfield with a terrible Browns team. I want to see a guy like Mariota when he can reach his full potential. Think how much fun that would be. I don't know why, if you're anyone in the NFL, you wouldn't try to get him as your franchise quarterback. It's going to take a blockbuster deal because you take Mariota away from Tennessee. What do they have? Remember when Zach Mettenberger was their quarterback? You take Mariota away from Tennessee, they're going to crumble. But maybe that's good for them. They get back a load as far as draft stock. You think of some teams that could use a quarterback. Mariota would be great anywhere he goes. Let me give your football mind something to snack on. Picture Marcus Mariota in a Buffalo Bills jersey. Would he be able to turn that franchise around, do anything for them? He'd certainly be better than Derek Anderson, Nathan Peterman, or Josh Allen. Marcus Mariota in a Buffalo Bills system makes a lot of sense to me. Bills are going to have to sell out. It's going to cost them some draft picks for the near future. But the Bills have shown flashes of being a capable franchise. They had the blowout victory over Minnesota in Minneapolis. Played the Packers extremely well next week. But mostly, I want to see it for Mariota's sake. I just feel for the guy. Such a talented football player. And as long as he's in Tennessee, I don't believe that we're ever going to see him reach his full potential. Because they're not building around him right now. You're not seeing any moves made to improve the Titans. They think just because they got to the playoffs last year that they're going to be a special team this season or in the years to come. Last year was a pseudo-playoff appearance. Basically like what the Cowboys would have this year if they would win a terrible NFC East just because they traded for Amari Cooper and gave up a first-round pick. No matter who you root for, as a football fan, you hate seeing talent wasted. And right now, that's what Marcus Mariota is getting over in Tennessee. In my mind, I don't believe that there is a quarterback in the NFL who needs to get away from their current franchise as much as he does from the Titans. Go somewhere, get paired up with an offensive-minded coach, find a way to get your full potential on display for the entire league. And once again, a reminder that Pigskin Payday is back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only to Jibboy Casino in Berga and Marquette. We've got more coming up in the sports pen after this. You're listening to ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP mobile app. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only at Jibba Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Well, it's a busy time for Northern Michigan Athletics. Winter sports just about to get fully kicked off. And men's basketball with a road trip downstate. They get to take on the Michigan State Spartans tomorrow night. An exhibition game in East Lansing. Time now to talk with Northern Michigan University men's basketball assistant coach Charles Belt. His team getting set to take on Michigan State tomorrow night in exhibition game at the Breslin Center. Coach, thanks for taking the time. You guys made the trip down yesterday, get the game going tomorrow night. Now, if I know you guys, you're just excited to get back onto the floor. Tell me how it feels as you wait and anticipate that opening tip-off. Um, I mean, it was a uh, very good trip. I know we were uh, we were eager to kind of get down and get the uh get the travel done so get the legs out of the way and uh get shake the shake the bus off you know not try to make it a single 
day trip. And, uh, I mean, we got off the bus today for our practice and everything uh, went very smoothly. I mean, a lot of energy, a lot of pop from the guys. One of those games, one of those settings where if you're not excited to play in this environment, then uh, you probably shouldn't be playing college basketball. Tell me how they're feeling about uh, getting to go up against somebody who's, for one, not themselves, and for another, one of the powers in Division One basketball. Well, uh, you know, it's one of those games where you get you, the prep for it, you can really see what seasoning and what having veterans does for you. Um, I mean, our guys that are juniors and seniors, this is kind of a routine. I mean, they're happy to get back into that routine of getting on the bus and getting down and you know, our, our, our pregame and uh, our meal, our routine that we kind of do. And, uh, I mean, they're excited. I mean, we've been practicing pretty hard here, if you include preseason. And then once we start official practice on the 15th, then it'll just be really nice to, you know, get out there and compete against someone other than ourselves. But then you add on top of that the caliber of the opponent, then uh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're excited to be here. Tell me about Michigan State and what they're going to bring to the table. Um, as... as very, very traditional in terms of a Tom Izzo coach team. I mean, they're going to defend. Uh, they're going to lock down. We expect that, uh, you know, obviously they'll look at, at King on, 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 on Isaiah Johnson and Nava Eccles. And then uh, the pace of play is something that our guys are going to really, really have to rise to the level of. I mean, they transition extremely well. Uh, they defensive rebound, and uh, they get those outlets really far up the court, and those guys run those wings. Uh, for transition threes and rim run dunks. So uh, we've really made an emphasis of uh, transitioning back on defense. I uh, wanted to make sure that we protect the paint first and then uh, be there to contest shots. Well, Tom Izzo's a native to the Upper Peninsula. This has got to be a special game for him. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, the experience overall for us coming down here is all taken care of by Coach Izzo. I mean, he treats us really well uh, as, the, as his alma mater. Uh, I know Coach Saul... Uh, has very constant and consistent communication with uh, coaches, though. Um, they speak during the summers. Uh, that's one of the nice things about recruiting. Uh, we get a chance to see them when we're down in July at a lot of those events, and we're able to do a lot of this type of logistics work uh, face-to-face. And uh, so, you know, we've, uh, we're actually staying here at the Kellogg, uh, right literally two minutes from uh, the Breslin. Uh, we were able to get on the practice uh, on the actual Breslin court today for our practice. Uh, and then we also are going to be doing a little coaches uh, gathering. We'll be meeting up with coaches though, later on tonight, this evening. So he absolutely takes a little extra care when it comes to us coming down here and making sure that we feel and enjoy this experience as coaches and as players. When you went over and had your practice at the Breslin today, did you start to see maybe some deer-in-the-headlight looks from the younger guys? Uh, just wondering what it's like to be on this stage, or are they getting accustomed to it pretty well? Well, the, it's it's very interesting because if you look at our roster, we only have three guys that I would consider young, young, you know, in terms of true freshmen. And then we have a couple guys that are redshirt freshmen. And the rest of the, of the bulk of, 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 of our players are those juniors and seniors that have logged a lot of minutes and have been on a lot of trips and in a lot of these type of uh, battles and games playing in GLIAC play. So... Uh, I thought that the young guys was way more understanding how do you get off the bus and have energy? You know, how do you get uh, to a place where you're sitting, you're kind of, you know, we're off and on, you're in your room, and now it's time to kick it in gear and go. And so I think that more than like the deer in the headlights 
uh, of oh my goodness was kind of the the thing that we had to shake out of them. Get them used to hey, when you get off the bus and we're on the court, you know, let's lace them up, let's get going with pace, let's be uh, very in tune to our details. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time. All the best tomorrow night against Michigan State, and all the best this season. Absolutely, Tanner. I appreciate you having us on the show. That's Charles Bell, assistant coach for Northern Michigan University men's basketball. Well, today is the first day of retirement for Chase Utley. His team knocked out last night, falling in the World Series. Ten years ago today, he was with the Philadelphia Phillies. Ten years ago today, he was hoisting the World Series trophy. Ten years later, first day of retirement after getting knocked out on the final day of his professional career. The Detroit Tigers have been busy today. They have been making roster moves. Their 40-man roster is now down to 36. Francisco Liriano, Jared Saltalamacchia, Jose Iglesias, and Victor Martinez have all become free agents. The team has reinstated Michael Fulmer, John Hicks, and Miguel Cabrera from the disabled list. So the 40-man roster stands at 36 right now. Let's talk about those uh, that are becoming free agents for Detroit. Liriano. Well, he had a bad year. His best baseball is behind him. He struggled with injuries, what have you. He was great in Minnesota. He was okay in Pittsburgh. He has not brought that same level to Detroit. Saltalamaki has been a journeyman catcher. Another guy whose best days are behind him. Just no room for him right now. There's already plenty of backstops in Detroit. Saltalamaki doesn't seem to fit into the long-term equation. Victor Martinez. This comes as no surprise. He had announced that he was retiring after this season. But nonetheless, the Tigers make it official. And one of the greatest to ever play the game is officially hanging it up. Jose Iglesias, how about that though? He's on the free agent market. Any team that's in the market for a wonderful shortstop, one of the best in baseball. Yeah, I know, he's had a down season. Tigers of a whole have had a down season. Iglesias is good enough that he can win with the right pieces around him. He can not only win, he can be a vital part of the team's success. And there are definitely teams around the league that would love to have somebody like him. Let's just throw out a name. How about the Oakland A's? How about if Jose Iglesias signed with the Oakland A's? He'd be a defensive upgrade for Marcus Simeon in a huge way. Offensively, they'd be pretty comparable. I have strong doubts about Iglesias returning to the Tigers next season. How about this? A blast from the past. We talked about Chase Utley and where he was 10 years ago. How about some guys who were on their way up 10 years ago? This is the MLB.com top prospect list from 2008. From this time in 2008. One decade ago, these were the guys on their way up. Let's compare them to where they are now. We'll start from number six, work our way up to number one, Madison Bumgarner, number six on the list of MLB.com's top prospects from at this time 10 years ago. Mad Bum. He's accomplished a lot. He's accomplished plenty during his time. Is his best baseball behind him, though? He's been part of multiple World Series teams. But it's been a struggle for the Giants these last few years. Number five, Cameron Mabin. He's underwhelmed for being this high on the list. He's underwhelmed for me. Mabin is a guy with all kinds of potential. He's got everything you would want in a defensive outfielder. Offense, though, has been suspect at times. Excellent speed, excellent defense. 
but the offense has got to be there. It's just not been as consistent as you would want from a guy that high on the prospect list. Rick Porcello at number four. He was part of the Red Sox team that just won the World Series. Former Tiger, he continues to live up to expectations. Number three, Jay Hay, Jason Hayward. He was an integral part of the Cubs run back in 2016. He's a special ball player. He's continued to live up to those standards. Number two might surprise you. It surprised me, Matt Wieters, former Baltimore Oriole catcher who's now with Washington. Matt Wieters is a guy that's quietly been effective for whatever team he's been on. His numbers aren't going to overwhelm you, but he's effective everywhere he goes. The number one prospect, ranked by MLB.com at this time 10 years ago, Mr. David Price, who last night pitched the Red Sox to their fourth championship in 15 years. David Price certainly has lived up to the expectations cemented by the fact that he has become an October pitcher. He has become effective in the postseason for the longest time, the biggest black mark on his resume. While we're on the subject of baseball, only 107 days until pitchers and catchers report to camp, only 107 days, let's take a look at the way too early power rankings for 2019 as put together by ESPN.com. And number one going into the offseason is the Houston Astros. Right now, with the best odds to win next year's World Series, the Houston Astros bounced in the American League Championship Series number one. And here's a spoiler alert. The Boston Red Sox aren't even top three in odds to win the World Series next year. Second is actually their arch rival, the New York Yankees. Second best odds, according to Vegas, followed by the Dodgers, the team who's come up as runner-ups in each of the last two seasons. Now, a lot of that is going to depend on what they do in this offseason. Clayton Kershaw is a free agent. Clayton Kershaw is still one of the best in the game, despite his struggles in the postseason. He is a guy you want on your team. Do you really want Kershaw to don pinstripes next season? Go sign with the Yankees? Please no. Please no. Clayton Kershaw in a Yankee uniform is about every other team's nightmare. Now, think if they resign him and find a way to swing Bryce Harper. I still don't think they're going to win the World Series, even if they do. Can't ask for much more talented rosters than they've had these last couple of years, and they still haven't won. But think about this. Let's just speculate. Let's say they do get Bryce Harper for next season. Their outfield would feature Harper, Cody Bellinger, and Yasiel Puig in left, center, and right. That's pretty good outfield. How about their infield? Third to first, Justin Turner, Corey Seager, Chris Taylor, and Max Muncy with Austin Barnes behind the plate. How about that lineup? Nobody in the National League would stop them when you supplement that with Kershaw, Bueller, and company. Nobody's going to be stopping them in the National League. But again, they haven't won the World Series by now. They're not going to. They're just going to maintain a strong level of success. The Atlanta Braves round out the top five as far as the way-too-early Las Vegas odds-slash-power rankings for the 2019 season and World Series. Cleveland came in sixth, then the Milwaukee Brewers were seventh, followed by the Cubs, Tampa Bay, and St. Louis. How about this, though? The Minnesota Twins have jumped all the way up to number 11. That's encouraging if you're a Twins fan. The Rocco Baldelli effect, maybe. 
You're probably wondering where the Detroit Tigers' odds to win next year's World Series fall. And the news is not good. They're 25th, predicted to finish 4th in the American League Central behind Chicago, ahead of Kansas City. Last on the list, Baltimore Orioles. Shouldn't surprise too many people. After the season they had, 47-115 record. Not a surprise. As we start to wind down a wild weekend in Division I college hockey, let's take a look at the new rankings, how everything shakes out. Minnesota Duluth is the new number one in the country. That's where they started the season. That's where they are entering this week. They swept Notre Dame, who was ranked number one in South Bend this weekend. They won both games 3-2 to two and 3-1. to one. Minnesota Duluth, the defending national champions, back on top. They jumped from third to first with a record of 6-1-1. One, and one. St. Cloud State got a couple of first place votes. They hold at number two. Providence is third. Minnesota State and then Notre Dame dropping to number five after dropping two at home against Minnesota Duluth. The other first place vote, we have 49 off the table. Duluth got 47. Two of them went to St. Cloud. One first place vote for Penn State, who came in sixth in this week's poll. They're unbeaten at 5-0. and They jump from number 10 up four spots to number six. Ohio State in seventh, Denver, Bowling Green, and Minnesota rounding out the top 10 in Division I men's college hockey. UMass continues to move up. They jump five spots to number 11. They're followed by Michigan, Northeastern, North Dakota, and Quinnipiac. Wisconsin, Union, Cornell, Princeton, and Miami round out the top 20. Just outside the top 20, you have Colorado College, Clarkson, Michigan State, and Western Michigan. Both of those receiving votes, they would be 23rd and 24th if the rankings expanded beyond the top 25. Over on the women's side of things, Wisconsin holds as the number one team in the country. Minnesota moves up one spot to number two. Clarkson drops one spot to number three. Ohio State holds at number four. And Boston College is up one spot to round out the top five. Six through ten, Cornell, Duluth, Northeastern, Colgate, and St. Lawrence with Maine, Mercyhurst, and Princeton just outside the top ten. Of course, Northern Michigan and Michigan Tech each splitting two-game series this weekend. Michigan Tech winning 6-2 on Friday night against Wisconsin, ranked 14th in the country at the time, and falling 6-2 on Saturday. Meanwhile, Northern Michigan beat Bemidji State 3-0 on Friday, fell controversially 2-1, a late goal that does end the Wildcats on Saturday. They're both on the road this weekend. A long road trip continues for Tech. Northern will be back home next weekend. Well, hey, we are out of time. As always, appreciate you tuning in with us. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. We're back on tomorrow, same time, same place, 4 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Central, right here on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go on that free app, which you can get at the Apple iStore or Google Play, go on demand, and hear this show on repeat. Signing off from the ESPN-UP Studios, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette, I'm Tanner Hoops. Enjoy the Will Kane Show. Yeah, I'd give a rat's about Twitter.